this to make sure I have my right audio there. I think I'm live right now. I'm double checking to make sure I have my correct microphone connected. Waiting for that Rock Fan Red button. Happy Wednesday morning. It's 7 a.m. or so. Is that what time it is? Let me see. Yeah, 7.16 a.m. on this Wednesday hump day. Happy hump day to everyone. I know a lot of people like to celebrate hump day. They like to tweet or post on Facebook about how it's hump day, making the obvious joke there about hump day. I think the people who spend the most time talking about hump day, myself excluded, because I rarely talk about hump day, I think that these are the people who can't remember the last time they did any humping on hump day. And now i got to turn my phone, dead gummit. Man, every time I do a stream by myself or just even with a couple of a couple of us, I appreciate the fact that producers exist that can take all of the technical burden off of you, which I, I was a producer for a long, long time, so I understand it, but never fully appreciated being a producer until I was doing it all myself, you know. Hump day. On, on hump day, producers are just producing while people are like, it's hump day. Is anybody available for hump day? That's what I feel like the hump day jokes we see all over social media are. People posting their hump day jokes, hoping they're going to get a DM going, hey, you know, I don't have anybody to hump on hump day. Available? Never happens, I don't think. I just think it is a signal for uh, isolation, personally. And funny memes. Let's get into the show. This is I didn't mean to do a show where I was going to talk about hump day at 7 a.m. in the morning. It's way too early to, to talk about hump day in windows. What I actually meant to do is to jump in and talk about like some crazy stuff going on, like Biden's World War III speech, the political violence poll that just came out, which has a surprising uh, finding, I thought anyway, a satisfying none takedown, none more satisfying than this one. And... An update on the Canadian Nazi situation. Like a really funny update, in my opinion. And a damning one. So, this is a Propaganda Report Drive Time News Blast. Don't usually do a 7 a.m. live show on any day. It's usually later. But there was a lot of stuff I want to talk about. And I got up early. And I decided it's hump day. So, let's, let, you know, let, let's hump the day, right? And start it off right. So, Biden did his... Israel speech the other day, yesterday, actually. He, he was in Israel yesterday, and he's going to be addressing the nation tonight from the Oval Office, giving what appears to me to be his call for all Americans to get on board with funding World War III speech. I don't see any other way to characterize what he's going to be doing later tonight at 8 p.m. It's going to be like his version of it's time to make the world safe for democracy speech. The one Woodrow Wilson gave when he officially called for Congress to make a war declaration. Biden's not going to be asking Congress to make a war, a war declaration because we don't do that anymore because that's an obstacle for the war machine. Because if people in Congress just vote yes for war and their constituents don't want war, well, they're not going to vote for them again. So they have to win the public to the war effort, which is where the propaganda machine comes in, so that the people think they're begging their constituents to vote yes for the war. That just gets in the way, and they can expedite the process by not ever actually declaring war, just entering 
endless wars, which is what we've done for quite some time. So it's not going to be exactly like Woodrow Wilson, but it will be a call to fund World War III. And you'll see what I mean in a second. I'll get back to that. Before giving the speech that he's giving tonight, Biden did a speech in Israel yesterday. We all know that he did his very dangerous trip over there to Israel. I'm sure that you know he was risking his life and dodging bullets, probably like Hillary Clinton. And there was a few things in his speech that, that I found to be interesting. He said, I'm going to kind of sum up what I took away from it. I'm not going to make fun of the fact that he looked like he was about to fall asleep the whole time. Who cares? I think that's actually strategic. I think the fact that Biden is talking in terms of World War III right now, I think it helps his cause that he seems like a bumbling old grandpa who's about to fall asleep with his dick in his hand because he doesn't seem threatening at all. And when you can have someone like that deliver a, a World War III message, doesn't hit quite as hard and it's a little bit easier to digest than is someone like aggressive and Hitler-like where are saying, we're going to World War III. That was my Hitler impersonation. So I think Biden's fumbleness helps him in my fumbleness. So here's a couple things he covered in that speech. <laughs> he assured Israel that America is by its side. This is yesterday over there in the, the, the war region. He said that He's calling for the most historic aid package like in history. So he's talking about today. And he said, tomorrow I'm going to be demanding that we have a historic, unlike any other aid package. And I'm sure that he will ask for something historic. He also said that we'd be giving humanitarian aid to civilians in Gaza. So we're going to help out the people who are suffering in Gaza. And he emphasized that this aid, he said... It's for civilians and civilians only, okay? I'm looking at you, Hamas. This aid package is not for you. As you can see on the boxes it's delivered in, it says for innocent civilians only. You are not to take it. And if I, President Biden, find out that you stole that aid from the civilians, the innocent civilians, well, I'm going to be very disappointed in you. I'm going to be very sad by your decision to be irresponsible. It, what he, act, he said something that kind of conveyed that. His actual words were that if they stole or intercepted the aid packages, hummus, not to be confused with hummus, he said that they will have demonstrated once again that they have no concern for the welfare of the Palestinian people. And he, it, it's like, what is he trying to shame them? Look, I know that you care very deeply, terrorist. I just talked about how you cut babies' heads off, and I saw a picture of it that doesn't exist. But I know you care very deeply about how I view you. And unless you want me to, to really think not so highly of you anymore, you're not going to be stealing that aid package, okay? Here's what I think. I don't think they're going to steal all of the aid packages that they get, the, human, the humanitarian packages, because they don't want all of the people, the Palestinians, to turn against them. If they just took it away from them, then the Palestinians that they stole it from would view them as the evil bad guy. And, and I know that that is, they're the terrorist evil bad guy, but for a lot of the people that are there, this is their government. A good portion of them voted for them. Now, they've been propagandized. And they've been manipulated and used as pawns just as people in Israel have been used as pawns and manipulated by Netanyahu and all of them. 
I am a big proponent of those in power can, pulling all the strings. Those are the assholes and the publics of, of all of the countries. The more we look together and realize it's a divine rule operation and that it's these people who claim to be representing our interests who are the actual con artists, the better off we would be. So I'm not trying to criticize you know, any side of this. I'm looking towards the people who are being conned. And they're going to want to give them that aid. They're not going to steal it all. Because they want them to see Israel and the U.S. and the West as the enemy. So th- this is a propaganda war, not, not just in the way that it's kind of been described by the media. And I don't think that, that Hamas wants to actually kill all of the civilians over there. I know that there's part of the story where they say that they intentionally did these awful, awful things to uh, Israelis. I mean, awful things, and then put the videos of, of them online in order to trigger an overreaction so that it would make it look like Israel was just killing a bunch of civilians. And, th- and that, that probably is part of it. In fact, I'm sure that's pro- part of it. And I'm sure that they probably hide a lot of their operations behind civilians. But I, I don't think, and I think this is a misconception that we often have about other countries because of the way they are portrayed to us, which is probably not at all the way that they actually see things. I don't think people who live even in the most war-torn, oppressive countries walk around going, I'm so oppressed, I hope America saves us. I just don't think that's the case. I think people who are, are super, super oppressed, whether it's North Korea or wherever, probably look at us and say, man, those Americans are so propagandized and oppressed. And I think that even if they don't know how to work a computer or they don't have free speech and they might not like it, there might be some who are awake. But I think a lot of them are actually like, I'm OK. I think they probably actually have been propagandized into supporting these totalitarian uh, oppressive regimes. And I don't think that they see – I know that they don't see their own governments or their own leaders the way that their leaders have been projected to us. And if we want to have a realistic or try to gain a realistic insight at all to what they might be feeling, of course, you can talk to people. That, that's, there's interviews and stuff with people, but I don't trust anything I see on the internet. You have to take a lot of information in and evaluate it for yourself. But we can't think like ourselves when we're trying to understand the point of view of people that we have no understanding of. It, it's, that's not us. If they were us, then they, then they would absolutely think about it, I guess, but they're not. And that's a mistake that I think that it's so easy to make because of the, you know, the, our, our brains are very powerful things, but they're all, also very manipulatable. And I think that the governments of all of the countries utilize those blind spots in our brains, the fact that we obviously project ourselves into situations of other countries that we don't have any understanding of. Some people do have understanding. understanding. I don't. I don't know any. I've never been over there. I'm not going to pretend to have an understanding of it. And I'm definitely not going to pretend that somebody sitting over there is thinking about what's going on the way that I might be thinking about it based on the media portrayed to me. It's really hard not to think about the world as yourself. It's very, very hard. And the done these psychological experiments, they've tested all that. They know that and they exploit that. So what I'm saying is they're not going to take all of the aid away. They're not going to steal it all because they need their people to stay there because they want to keep that land and they want to fight this war. And they need them to like them. If everybody hated them, then this would not work for them. Even the most oppressive regimes have a population that think they're a god.
It's not until years later that people realize that they have been conned. The biggest, the, the biggest reason that propaganda continues to be so effective worldwide, even though much of its tactics have been exposed, is because of the way that our brain works and because people refuse to believe that they could be had or conned. And this is written about by Edward Bernays, by Harold Laswell, Sir Gilbert Parker writing back and forth to uh, what was the guy's name? Northcliffe, I think. Lord Northcliffe, who was the first head of the propaganda bureau in the UK for World War I propaganda. There were letters back and forth about how naive the American people are, how gullible the American professors and the elitist are, because they all thought they could never be fooled. And so those are the ones they went to first with the biggest egos. When I, I'm rambling. Never intended to go down this rabbit hole. But propaganda is, it really is, man. It's such a bitch because we all see it when it's working on somebody else. You know, so easy to see because we're not the target of the propaganda that's working on them. We're the target of the propaganda that's working on us, which is far, far less easy to see. It's, it's disguised. We think it comes from within us. The best defense, in my opinion, to all propaganda is one, questions which we see when we approach wartime. They don't want people asking questions. And two, we have to scrutinize those who we identify with far harder than those who we already don't believe anyway. Done rambling. Back to the freakers. I always do this. I have to control myself with some of these shows. Back to the... So Biden said he was going to give that humanitarian aid. He just said, promise me how much you're not going to take it. And of course they're going to take it, but they're not going to take all of it because they don't want to be disliked by their people was my point. And so... Biden then said something I found to be interesting in his speech. He, he claimed during his speech to have seen information. Hey, David, good morning. I wasn't expecting an early morning show either. I, ho- I hope I haven't just gone wild uh, out of control with my um, tangential rants. Did I see him speaking on the plane? Yeah, I did see him speaking on the plane as he was flying. It's kind of crazy that they gave him a little bit of leeway. But but I think the reason David in, in the chat is asking, did you see him, Biden, speaking on the plane after, on the way back from Israel? I, I seriously think that they're preparing him to just be this, be perceived as just this incoherent, you know, person because he's about to deliver the most craziest war propaganda of our time tonight. And the more befuddling and stupid he can look, the easier that shit is to, to swallow. I, I think that's why they, part of re, the reason why they're showing that. The shit we're going to hear tonight, man, I'm telling you, I'm getting ahead of myself. He claimed during that speech last night in Israel that he had seen, this I thought that was interesting to me, that he had seen information that showed that it was actually the, who was responsible for the, the hotel and all the people that died at that hotel in Gaza. He said he saw information personally that a Palestinian terrorist group was the one who accidentally fired off a missile that you know killed all these people at this hospital, which I thought was interesting the way he said it because he was very vague about it. And the initial reports on all of it, the reports that most people were at the top of their mind that we heard all over the media was that 500-plus people died the building was basically blown up and gone. That's the image that they put in people's heads and that we didn't know yet who was responsible. And so Biden was filling in the piece of information. I know who was responsible, yet he did not clarify that that story, the original reporting of it, 
turned out to not be correct really in any way when it comes to what they projected into people's minds. The hospital is still there. And there's been reports that started off with plus 500 people dead. Then it was between two and 300 people dead. Then it was very specifically, for a little while, it was 471 people dead. That's a very specific number. And then the Wall Street Journal reported last night that one of their open source intelligence analysts found that 50 people were dead, 500 plus to 50. Now, don't get me wrong. Any death in situations like this is unacceptable, in my opinion. It's idealistic, but I don't like it when anybody dies unnecessarily at all. Like, I, I hate it. But what Biden was doing here is Biden had an opportunity to clarify and say, it's a fog of war. It's bad. We, we do not accept any civilian casualties and we mourn them all. We pray for their families, but we do not yet know what actually happened there because of fog of war. He could have done that and built a little bit of credibility, but instead he seems to have specifically been vague in saying, I mourn, he said this to the Israeli people in the world, I mourn all the enormous amounts of death and all the awful things that I now have seen personal information to know was committed by these Israeli terrorists, which it's not good for Biden. So let's say that all of this is true because there has been information about there's an audio leak. So, some people say that there was audio where there were some of these terrorists saying that was theirs. There's other cooperating evidence. I, I'm not challenging any of those. My position is I have no effing idea. And you, you can't know. I have no way of verifying any of it. I don't believe any of them, honestly. But let's say all of that's true, right? And then you have President Biden come up here and say he's personally seen confirming evidence of, of the guilty party of this story that everybody sees him not clarify that it's not actually plus 500 deaths. It's a lot, probably less. And the, and the hospital's still there. It makes you not trust the thing that he says next. And the thing he says next is, I have this cooperating information. Because the last time Biden, which is about four or five days ago, told the American people and the world that he had confirming evidence of a question that people were wondering the truth about, he completely lied to the American public and told them, yeah, I've seen the confirmed photos of the decapitated babies, which he had never seen. Nobody's seen. Israel hasn't seen. No, nobody has seen those, and they probably don't exist. Yet he told the public that he saw them, and then he immediately asked, we need aid for Israel right now because people were in that emotional state. So when your reputation is that everything that you say is a lie to get people to do things, to make decisions without using their critical processes in their brain because they're in a lizard state because of the emotional propaganda that you've hit them with, when that is your standard, when you come out and say, I've seen evidence, I saw it myself, of who was responsible for the hospital, and then you don't clarify that it's still there, people go, bullshit. And it makes them question something that might actually be true because you are so full of shit. Like everything Biden says is a lie. He's been no, he's been consistent and lying every time he comes to the public and the media writes it off. Oh, he's just telling stories. He's just a, he's just remembering a story. No, he's actually just intentionally lying to try and get people to not use their thinking brain, is what he's doing. He might be an old man full of dementia, but by God. He, he has it ingrained in his automatic patterns. I will fucking lie to people to get them to urgently make a decision that they wouldn't otherwise make if they actually stepped back and thought about shit. He's good at that as a bumbling old fucking man.
Uh, I think it's hilarious, like, how ridiculous he is. Also, it helps them that he is such a fucking ridiculous, bumbling old, old fart. Some people think it's on purpose that he's an actor. I do not agree with that. All right. It, it, it could be on You're right. I, I don't know who, who could think that's a good idea. Like, I, I just... He could be right. Like, so there's, he could be an act. He could be a great actor, or it could just be we're going to take advantage of how bumbling he is. Man, I do this all the time when I do these streams. I'm trying to get better doing solo live streams just so I can always do them. And I would like to do them daily as well as do a, a, a stream with, you know, uh, Ian, Stella, Josh, uh, Fake Trump at, at night. And what I'm working on is, sticking to the contained talk, things that I want to talk about so that I don't take something that I said, I'm going to do a, a one hour show and turn it into a two and a half hour show. And uh, I've once again, not done a good job of that, but at least, at least I'm recognizing. So moving on. Well, another thing that he talked about and is the speech was so ridiculous. He, he, he said that this is what he said. He, he said that he's made wartime decisions. He was relating to Bibi Netanyahu. And he told him, he said, I, I've made wartime decisions, Bibi, and I know how difficult and, and hard they can be. And I'm like, what, what wartime decisions has he made? Look, I know logically and from a practical standpoint, we're in a proxy war, so he has made wartime decisions. But nobody's declared war. When Biden sees himself very obviously as a wartime president already because he's telling Netanyahu as a new wartime president right now because of what happened. I'm an old I'm an old hag at this wartime presidency because I've been doing it a long time. It just goes to show you that they do not give a shit about officially declaring war. They are always in a constant state of war. And a statement like that, I, I just found that to be interesting. I've made wartime decisions. I don't think he has. I think Blinken has made wartime decisions, and he maybe drew his X on it. I, I don't know. But he also said during that speech last night in Israel, I thought this was hilarious. He assured the world, we've all heard the talking points, he assured the world that despite what we've heard from Netanyahu himself and from all of the media, that the attack on Israel was not actually Israel's 9-11. It was not their 9-11. He assured all of us that it was actually like Israel's 9-11, 15 9-11s. It was 15 9-11s for Israel, not just one. That, that was the mistake that people made. So basically, stop whining, 9-11 survivors. Stop being little bitches, blah, 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 survived 9-11, long-term effects, lost family members. Boo-hoo, it only happened to you one time, pussy. Imagine 15 of those happening to you, okay? This attack on Israel was like 15 9-11s for them, all right? It was like 19.1 Pearl Harbors. It was 750 Las Vegas shootings to them. It was 15,000 Boston Marathon bombings that happened to them, and it was just a tiny, tiny fraction of a January 6th that happened to them. Biden's looking at Netanyahu going, you're not quite there, BB, talk to me. When a QAnon shaman walks inside your capital with his shirt off, then you'll know what suffering is, but we'll give you a little bit of aid until you know what real pain feels like. And then Biden concluded the speech by slowly saying don't, don't, over and over again, until he was just completely out of oxygen. Don't. Don't. 
Don't. And then he just passed out and fell forward over the front of the podium that he was speaking at, right into Bibi Netanyahu's arms, where the two of them had a brief nap before taking questions from the press. It was very, very sweet. Bibi knew right where Biden was going to fall. Now let's get to Biden's World War III speech. This is what this is going to be tonight, his World War, World War III speech. Back in the homeland, primetime foreign policy speech at 8 p.m. tonight from the Oval Office and going to be telling the American people basically that, you know, the rising prices of everything in your life, housing, gro- you can't go to the grocery store, you can't go buy a case of water in the grocery store without having a $70 charge. It's like you ha- it's like it's a $70 entry fee just to go into Kroger or Publix these days. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about ga- anything else in the economy because it's time to sacrifice and it's time to fund the next great war, baby. That's what Biden's going to be telling us tonight. Don't you want to be a part of history? Don't you want to be remembered as, as someone whose tax dollars deprived your own domestic struggles and funded the next great war? I mean, maybe we'll all get commemorative bricks with our names on it. I funded a part of World War III. Thank you, Joe Biden. And this is the subject of his address is going to be Israel, obviously, and Ukraine. And this is the important thing to remember here. Like this was so, so obvious this was coming. Here's what it says. It says, Tomorrow, President Biden will address the nation to discuss our response to Hamas terrorist attacks against Israel and Russia's ongoing brutal war against Ukraine. This is what uh, the press secretary, Jean-Pierre, said in a statement. And this is what I was talking about right after this whole Israel thing popped off. The Ukraine aid was never going anywhere. It seemed like it might go somewhere when McCarthy was ousted as speaker and it looked like the person who might become the next speaker would be someone who opposes Ukraine aid. And the whole reason McCarthy was ousted was because of his pro-Ukraine aid stance. That's one of the main reasons. It looked like the Ukraine aid could potentially end. I never actually believed it would. And all of a sudden, after that happened, Israel gets attacked by Hamas. They get, they get attacked by Hamas and we're all of a sudden plunged into another foreign war effort that while the Ukraine war support had everybody on the left on board, this one has bipartisan support. Everybody on the right who might have resisted before was like, is like, yeah, now we need Ukraine aid. So what do you do when you get multiple – you want to get multiple wars funded at the same time, but you know the, the ideological sides aren't going to agree on continuing to fund both wars. Well, you tie the funding together and you make it impossible to say yes to one and no to the other. That's obviously what's going to happen. It's probably already bills presented. Joe will present it then. And according to CBS, Biden is planning to ask Congress for an additional year-long aid package worth over $100 billion that would include funding for Israel, okay, Ukraine, and Indo-Pacific countries, including Taiwan, as well as measures to boost security along the U.S.-Mexico border. And the article then goes on to say that while support for Ukraine is weakened with some on the right, aid to Israel has attracted broad bipartisan support. So if you want to support Israel, you got to support Ukraine. I mean, they're so full of shit, man. This is how they do this shit. It's all a con. It's all going to be tied together. The Ukraine war, here's why it's all going to be tied together, right? 
This is not funding for multiple different wars, which Biden kind of described it that way. We can take on multiple wars, but that is going to change. I guarantee the talking point on that will change. This is not Ukraine war, Israel war, maybe the Taiwan war. We're not talking three different wars being funded here. These are the same war. That's why they're all going to be tied together. This is a world war. But they can't say that on the surface. They have to act like we got to bring them all together and then that comes later. But that is exactly, he won't say it explicitly, that he's calling for funding for World War III. But what Biden is going to do later tonight at 8 p.m. is he is going to call for support and rapid massive funding of World War III. And, and, and my gosh, hopefully there's enough people that they've recruited because I remember a few months back when the military came out and said, well, here's our definition of who can be recruited. And, and a lot of trans people, the children of people who promoted trans who got outraged about the recruitment thing. I said this was going to happen. I was like, we are going headfirst towards war. We're not meeting any uh, military recruitment. And we have all these people who are promoting trans inclusivity into everything, including going to war. But then when it turns around and you find out they're going to have to actually force people to sign up and that your children who you've been pawning around and you turned into a, a transgender, like six, might get recruited. It's a different story. Like we're being, this is the great reset. This is what the great reset intended to do. What is happening right now is knock America back pump up China, even the, 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 the powers around the world while people like the Klaus Schwab's and all the other global elites pull the strings and maintain power in their houses where they're boothing each other on high. And I know that Klaus Schwab's not like the person in power. We probably never see the people in power. The point is, these are people who don't see the world as countries. They, they use the countries as pawns against each other as a divide and rule strategy. And they pull the string of people like Biden and all these. It's just, it sucks because the only reason it works is because we fall off their propaganda and we fight with each other instead of looking closely at them. That's the only reason that any of this works. So where was I? God, I got to stop getting so worked up on some of these things. World War Three speech. All right. So my screen went out here for a second. Hold on one second there. Okay. Okay. A couple other things, and you can put this in like a drinking card for the speech tonight. That you're gonna hear from Biden. Is by Bi here. Here's what Biden will definitely do during the speech. He will say that the terrorists who attacked Israel are no different than Putin's invaders who attacked Ukraine, nor are they different from the MAGA cult domestic terrorists who threaten our democracy at home. I promise you, he's not going to say it just like that. He will tie all of those together. That is where this is headed. He'll make the enemy multinational so that they can – they're all terrorists who oppose democracy. That's what they are. And it's going to include MAGA. It's going to include all of them. It's going to include anybody who disagrees with whatever the main talking point is. He'll also say the word unity probably you know, at least twice, probably six times. So take a shot every time he says the word unity because that's a talking point right now. And the way that they have been pushing the word unity in, it's in the context of we need more unity right now. And yet my opponent – Evil MAGA racist Donald Trump is actively trying to cause disunity by doing things like criticizing Israel and praising the baby killing terrorist, which Trump didn't actually do. 
all of that's mischaracterized, but it's been a talking point that they've ran with. You will hear that in his speech tonight. He'll also say that Israel was divided internally before they were attacked, and that is what left them vulnerable to what happened, and that if we let Trump continue to divide this country and leave us vulnerable by doing things like praising the baby-killing terrorist, which he never did, the terrorist will kill our babies also. He'll say something like that. And then he will say the biggest threat to democracy worldwide is terrorists like Hamas, Iran, Putin, China, Trump, and his MAGA cult. And I expect the word cult to come in there, okay? Because they've been talking about deprogramming, and they've been, it's, been a, it's been really heavy in the propaganda themes, man. I've been watching all these networks, and they all use the same words and the same themes, even more so than they usually do. It's unity propaganda. The media machines of every country leading up to any war, they try to snuff out the... The, the people who ask questions, the dissident opinion, and they try and make it look like it's a unified front because you need a unified front so that you're not fractured and you can't be attacked by, by your outside enemies. This stuff, I've been reading about this stuff in these books from Bernays and all these propagandists that were written in like 1920 and what they're doing right now. It, it just fulfills it to a T. It's unbelievable the model is so identical to what they've been following for 100 years. It's unity propaganda. Trump calls it a vision. Therefore, Trump is the reason for the terrorists. I'm telling you, that's where this is going. There could be a false flag. And if there is, they'll blame it on what they will describe as a MAGA Trumper pro Hamas Hamas terrorist. That is what they're going to do. So, and right on cue with all of that. With all this consistency and this talking points. Is, here's this article. Let me see if I can get someone screen and show it to you. It's from Politico. The, the article from Politico, the question that they ask, <laughs> they say, will the United States be the next Israel? Will they be the next Israel? Will Donald Trump, I might as well say, will Donald Trump cause the United States to be the next Israel? Because he's just fucking questioning the government. And you can't do that. They don't want you to do that. The article says that, I want to show it to you. $70 like a, yeah, it totally is like a fucking door feed to get into the public. Yeah, I want you to see this article. Hold on a second. I'm going to pull this up on screen. What I'm talking about. If I could afford to pay a producer to do this, if I would, but I can't do that. So, but I'm trying to organize myself better so that I can get to this stuff more seamlessly. And I'm getting better at it. It just takes a little bit of time. And I appreciate everybody's patience. So, all right, where's that freaking... Okay, here's the Politico link. And this is crazy. Like, how do you even write an article like this? I mean, you know you're full of shit. You know, this is me thinking like myself again and not thinking like the person who wrote the article. The person who wrote the article is a propagandist who has a job to do. And their job is to deceive people. So that, that's how they're thinking about it. They're not thinking about it like me. I take my own advice here. Let me get that down. All right, so here's the political article. It says, will the United States be the next Israel? War in the Middle East is a warning of what can happen when politicians put their own ends above national security. And that's another talking point. So I played some clips the other day with Ian where I clearly demonstrated that they, they are trying to accuse Trump of causing the division in the country. And they're trying to pin it on how he is praising the baby killing terrorist and criticizing Israel. Which again, he's, he, when you listen to the clips, he's doing no such thing. It's all made up. It's all completely fabricated. But that's the narrative they're running with. And then 
after making this story up about that, they then say, why does he do this? Well, the reason he praises the baby-killing terrorists, the slit-throating, decapitating baby-killing terrorists that Biden said he saw pictures of, and we know he did, even though he didn't, is because he's so selfish in his ego. And every single network said that. They all said that Trump is only doing this, talking about, I mean, he didn't, all Trump said about Hamas and Hezbollah was, he didn't say they were smart and great. He said, the people, like, if we're fighting them, you have to watch out. You have to be careful who you're fighting because they're smart. They're not stupid. So don't treat the enemies that you're fighting as being stupid. Treat them as being smart so that you have a better chance of defeating them. Because if you treat them like they're the dumbest people on the planet and you're wrong, you're going to get your ass whipped. Trump was saying something that every person who's being serious with themselves in government, Joe Biden himself, every military leader would say, yeah, absolutely, that's the most obvious thing on the planet. And they have managed to take it out of context and take this one moment and spin it into the most glorious, wildest bullshit you've ever heard in your life that Trump is somehow anti-Israel. Look, say what you will about Trump. He ain't anti-Israel, right? But they have people believing. They used to criticize him for how pro-Israel Israel he is, but now they're like he's pro-Hamas. It's so fucking crazy. And I don't even know how much of that has sunk in for a lot of people, but they're trying to hammer that shit in, and they're trying to say the reason he's doing it is because he's selfish and he's egotistical, just like this article here says. It happens when politicians put their own ends above the... It's just crazy, man, because I must have seen six different political talk shows on six different networks all say this almost verbatim sentence. They're all fucking puppets. I guess that's what you apply to be. What is an application to be a, a broadcaster at CNN or MSNBC say? Does it say, will you suck dick on command? Checkbox, yes, you're hired. That must be the entire application process, and then you have to prove yourself right there on the spot. They don't. I mean, maybe you have a resume. Maybe you say, I don't have to prove myself. Here's a list of 18 people I've sucked dick to get ahead, said Kamala Harris as she was applying. That's, that's, a, that's a dirty joke right there. It's a dirty joke. She should, have never, she should have never done what she did to rise in power. And she's married to that guy. It's just such a set-up marriage. I, 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 you know, I, I'm going to get back to what I was talking about. God, I'm just so out of my mind sometimes. All right. You regather myself. See, I need to leave spacing on these documents. I'm giving myself notes while I'm doing this, so I do it next time. So I apologize for the note to self like Norm MacDonald would do. Love Norm MacDonald. Okay. Here's a nice little touch. This is how they ended the article. Let me show this to you guys. Look at this shit. These fucking assholes, man. They have such nice websites. And like, we're such news people. We're, we're just reporting the truth. And we do investigative work. And we suck the fuck out of the government dick. You've never seen anyone do it. It's my, journalism consists... You always ask, who, what, when, where do I suck the government dick? That's how journalism works. It says, imagine, for example... <laughs> this is so crazy, man. Hold on, I'm going to find it. All right, there, there's part of it. All right, so it says here, oh, before that, it said the writer asked if Israel's a harbinger for the United States. And they say, are we getting a sneak preview of what will happen if Republicans succeed in their effort to exercise more control over, national, over the national security bureaucracy? The, the bureaucracy. 
You know, so Biden hasn't weaponized the entire bureaucracy, the Justice Department, to go after his political opponents and, and put people who support his political opponent in prison. And then it says former, the former president and the likely future presidential nominee, Donald Trump, has set the tone here. The number of instances that the former president sabotaged U.S. national security while in office and afterwards is too long to recount or detail. So they say stuff like that. It's too long to recount or detail when they actually don't have any of the facts on their side in an argument. Because you can go one by one through a number of those hoaxes they have. And I'm not saying that there aren't accusations against Trump that are true. I'm saying the main ones that they have against Trump are totally bogus and easily provable. If people have an attention span they aren't do- and they aren't dominated by-, by cognitive distance and confirmation bias in the other direction. And then it says, so the number of instances that, that pres- uh, Trump has sabotaged national security, while, national security while in office and afterwards too long to recount. And the failure of Israel to accurately assess the threat posed by Hamas is a cautionary tale of what happens when elected officials view their own government as part of a deep state instead of professionals trying to trying their best to provide useful intelligence and advice. It is crazy. This entire article, the argument is that the nation is vulnerable to terrorism right now because Trump is not promoting unity. Because since 2016, he has said, we must look at the deep state. We must bring them out and get rid of them. They are arguing in this article, don't examine the deep state. Don't hold these lifelong bureaucrats that are unelected who are actually controlling you accountable. Because if you do, you'll be attacked. You'll die by terrorism. Either accept that your vote means nothing and lifelong bureaucrats are controlling everything that you live in and you have no say, or you die by terrorism, is the basic argument of this effing political article. And I love the way it closes it out. Nice little touch here. It says, imagine, for example, what a second Trump term would actually look like if he only appoints toadies to cabinet-level positions. There would be no adults in the room. His planned jihad against the permanent bureaucracy would trigger an exodus of the best, most independent diplomats, general officers, and intelligence analysis. I love how they threw jihad in there, right? And then they say the ability of Trump's weakened administrative state to accurately assess or respond to any national security threat would be suspect at best and incompetent at worst, as though what we're seeing from Biden right now has any semblance of competency. The likelihood of a successful terrorist attack on U.S. soil undeterred Russian aggression in Eastern Europe. But I I thought Russia loved Trump, so why would they do that? Or open war in the Pacific Rim would rise exponentially. As chaotic as Trump's first term was, his second term would set the world on fire. It is extraordinary that they are pretending that Joe Biden is not plunging us deep into World War III right now. It's really wild that they're acting like that's not happening. Maybe I, I'm sure this person knows that. This person probably wrote this entire article where they were folded up on themselves, blading themselves. That's probably how they write. I, I imagine everybody in the New York Times building when they're they're not typing away at articles. Well, they are, but they're all folded up in their chairs, blowing themselves while somehow still having the skill to type. It's pretty impressive, honestly. And they're able to hold conversations with multiple penises in their mouth. And nobody even realizes it. It's an impressive skill they have. But that's what they do. They're all full of shit and dicks. 
So speaking of, of like political violence, so there's a poll that came out, and this stuff all comes out. It's coordinated. It's crazy how coordinated it is. But this, this political violence, it's not a political violence poll, but the way the, the story is framed is it is about political violence. The poll is from Virginia Center for Politics. <laughs> and I say this all the time. I, I know everything from the state of Virginia isn't controlled by the CIA, but if there is some information relevant to what's going on in the news or a figure who happens to have lived right outside of Langley for his entire life and is just following the narrative of uh, 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 the mainstream, then it's a relevant, logical question to ask about CIA connections. Sorry, state of Virginia. You're not all tainted by the CIA, but it's hard. It's hard, man. You're the home of the CIA. The Virginia Center for Politics and the poll, here's what the poll reported. It fits perfectly in the narrative. What does it say here? Okay. We're always told the right is violent, right? Not to premise this. I, I know because my friend the other day, he kept sending all these texts. He's this progressive and he kept insisting. I, I'm in a group chat with four people. Two of them are extremely progressive. They believe January 6th. They probably still believe the Steele dossier. And they think that only Trump was on Jeffrey Epstein's plane. And they have no idea about the background of any of that. And my other friend is like a closeted libertarian who can't help but spill his – like it's so obvious he's not – actually a Republican because he's in theater and acting. And so he'll start – they'll get into political debates. And one of my friends in there, a progressive one. He started insisting over like six different texts. It was like kind of like, dude, that the right is so violent and the left is just stupid. The right is violent. The left is stupid. And I know that he's basing most of that on this fabrication that he believes about January 6th and a Biden pushing this domestic terrorist. The biggest threat is MAGA Republicans and all that bullshit. I know all of that, but I'm not going to engage in a conversation in a, a – a text chat that I know is going to go nowhere. So I, I, I'm just like, I, what I'll do is I'll like text these weird mid-journey AI pictures of Brian Kemp um, giving Stacey Abrams a Heimlich maneuver on a beach and it looks like he's riding her back and grabbing her titties just to kind of break because they're fighting and they're getting nowhere. But he just kept insisting that the right is more political. And that's because of the propaganda. But this poll, uh, you know, it finds otherwise. This, was, this poll was conducted between August 25th of this year and September 11th and, and it found that 41% of Biden supporters agreed that people who support Republican candidates and Republican ideologies have become so extreme in what, in what they believe that these people believe it's acceptable to use violence to stop them from achieving their goals. Okay, 41% of Democrats believe it's okay to use violence to stop what they perceive to be extreme Republicans. Now, Republicans who believe the same thing about Democrats— 38%. It's just 3% less. I know it's not a, a substantial amount, but when we've been told for the past six years that the biggest domestic terror threat in the country are MAGA extremist Republicans and white nationalists and definitely not Democrats, and then we have a poll, this is not a right-leaning organization that finds that the violent ones are the Democrats by a, by, by a slight margin— I, so I think that's news. But then again, it, let me continue into this poll because I think the whole poll is bullshit, honestly. It goes on to say that, well, that to me seems like a big number. I should say this. It looks like if we take this at face value that more people have been 
they've gone to the extremes. They've been indoctrinated to extremism on both the right and left. That is what a percentage of 41% and 38% who are okay with violence against the other side would indicate. And if you flip it and you say that there's 59% of, of Democrats and what is it, 72% or 62% of Republicans would not – they don't think violence should be used to achieve or to stop their opponents. That's still – like you would think that that number would be up around 80, 85%. You would think it would be a very small percentage. And what I, what I think is that this poll was done online, and I think that most people who answered these questions answered them through a computer, and they thought theoretically, yeah – uh, they're looking at Twitter. Yeah, violence would be okay. I think that probably very few of them would ever actually engage in violence themselves other than saying it on a poll. on Twitter. So I- I'd be willing to bet that the number of people on both sides of this poll, and this poll is being promoted all over the news today, is probably less than 10%. It's probably single digits, both Democrats and Republicans, that would actually say violence is okay. I bet it's single digits when it comes to the people that would actually engage in it, the radicalized people, which is probably about the number that it's always been. So it probably hasn't changed at all. But the difference is they found these numbers that they're now reporting in the news media on the back of all this stuff going on in Israel with Biden come back in over here talking about Ukraine and the domestic terror threat and all of these conflicts rising globally. And they can pump this in here and say, look, your neighbor might kill you because they disagree with you. They can try and fuel this thing that they want to manifest, which is division, which is divide and rule and prevents people from realizing how full of shit all of them are. I think this entire poll is bullshit inserted to just fuel this fucking divide and rule narrative, in my opinion. And when it, I think I talked about that hospital in Gaza. I'm sure you guys have heard plenty of shit about the hospital. The hospital, it turns out, the original reporting on it wasn't exactly what it appeared because the hospital is still standing. Now, maybe these news reports didn't say explicitly that the hospital was demolished, but the way they reported it, they knew full well that they were going to be triggering 9-11 type things and that people were going to be seeing in their minds collapsed buildings, especially when they say plus 500 people died. Turns out that's not the case. Let me see if I can show you. I don't need to pull it up. I'm sure you've seen it. It's the, the parking lot next to the hospital is where all the burnt cars are, and that is what they're saying online. And everything about this story should be taken with a grain of salt. Like everything. Everything. The images show a bunch of cars burnt to a crisp next to a hospital that's still standing. That doesn't mean that there weren't complications inside the hospital, but they made us think that a hospital had just been buried and people were like they told us people were buried underneath the rubble of the hospital it were the original reports so that's bullshit i don't know what happened there it's all bullshit it's just so crazy edward bernays would have a wet dream right now with how closely you can communicate with the entire planet through just a whisper on social media that's what he said in his book propaganda in the future with movies and the, the way people – you can reach a mass amount of people at one time. You can whisper. The propagandist can whisper in someone's ear, and that whisper will reach the entire planet. He said that he wrote that in his book Propaganda. Like I don't think he anticipated exactly the way it's fragmented and whatnot, but man, the dude would be jizzing all over himself all the time right now. Uh, Ian says simple explanation is that 500 people were on a smoke break. And part, part, you know, that's a good point. You know, I hadn't considered that. <laughs> they let everybody out. They said, look, we're going to we're going to take you off your cancer treatment. We're going to have a smoke break with everybody else. All the other cancer patients and the the people who have escaped the, the bombings of Israel in the parking lot. 
and it's just a, it's just unlucky. They did say part of the narrative. It's just so when they all say the same shit, I'm just like, yeah, you can't always immediately figure out what they're trying to push with it. But when it's the same fucking verbiage across all the networks, especially coming from these people who are saying it like they're so smart and like it was theirs. It's just like, fuck you. But also, this is clearly a messaging point. This is clearly Mockingbird 2.0. I mean, they have the CIA agents, right? Here on our panel today is three former CIA heads who all said the Russian dossier was, uh, uh, was or the Hunter Biden laptop was Russian disinformation. And here's two NSA heads. They used to just not tell us that. But I want to read you. So this propaganda, I've been, I've tried to pull this up to you, Ian, the other day, but I couldn't find the book, but I found it. This is page 75 of this book. Can you see this? I'm very tired, so I'm probably a little bit wild-eyed right now. Uh, Edward Bernays, Public Relations. He's written many, many insightful books on propaganda. He's very boastful about it. Here's what Bernays says. He's talking about the aftermath and the critics of the war propaganda machine that he was a part of during the, the Committee on Public Information, the Creel Committee, that was the first large, widespread propaganda government organization in the United States. So they say. He says, critics charge that sometimes the committee's volunteers got hysterical with their propaganda. But after all, hysteria was generally prevalent at the time. He's talking about World War One, not World War Two, World War One. And he says, reports that the Germans were beast and Huns were generally accepted. So everybody believed that. The most fantastic atrocity stories were believed. Let's say that again. Reports that the Germans were beasts and the Huns were generally accepted by everybody. The most fantastic atrocity stories were believed. After the war, there was widespread disillusion uh, with and reaction against propaganda. The American people resented their own wartime gullibility. He, he talks about this in all of his books. That they pro- propagandize people. People in the years afterwards, because they're pulled into making decisions and supporting things that don't always turn out to be so great. The, the Gulf War, the, the aftermath of 9-11, Vietnam, World War I. We didn't want to go into World War I. That's what they, that's what they did here. And people realize it. And they realize they were bamboozled. My uncle was a Vietnam soldier. And a lot of people that I, I know who were in the military, not all of them, but a, a number of them, I'm often surprised by their points of view about government and whatnot because I think I expect them to be a little bit more, you know, aligned with the the main narrative and everything. But they start talking like me, and I'm like, God, I believe all that same conspiracy shit, dude. And, and except from them, it's coming from a point of view of they believed something about their government because it called them to action, and then they found that it was a trick, and it wasn't what they were told it was. That might not always be the case. But for some people, it often is. And those can be some of the most insightful people to talk to about it because they have that real-time experience. And I get it. I mean, we live in a world where, where these countries fight wars and there's all these people who want to dominate. But like the propaganda has gotten to a point where the controllers of the communication mechanisms, they don't want there to be any chance that the public – thinks things through and comes to their own conclusions because those conclusions might be different than the ones they have prescribed for them. And if they're different, then if enough of them are different, you can silence a few of them, but if enough of them are different, then your whole apparatus that supports whatever the hell it is you're doing with these global wars they want to put, it's going to collapse. 
and their power is their, their power depends on manipulation. I'm so full of shit today. Okay. Oh man, I was going to give you the Canadian Nazi update. Fuck it. I'll do it anyway. So the Canadian Nazi story, which I love, it's like my favorite story. Although, so that's one of those stories talking about the Nazi that Zelensky and a Trudeau and everybody else in parliament in Canada gave a round. Like I, I've gotten standing ovations as part of improv shit, believe it or not. Sometimes standing ovations happen during improv shows or stand-up shows. It's a great feeling, but never, ever have I gotten such a, an ovation as this 98-year-old World War II actual Nazi got from the Canadian Parliament. We all love that story. It's a, they're all stupid, you, you idiot story, if they really didn't know that he was a Nazi. But if you look at it from the perspective of maybe they actually knew exactly who he was, then it becomes a much darker story. I have fun with it either way, and I have an update. I, there was over 300 people celebrating this Nazi, right? The only ones that the news kind of focused on was Zelensky and Trudeau. Fortunately, they did try to bury this, but fortunately, some journalists somewhere asked another one of those people who, who was there that day celebrating them. Let me get this clip up here. Asked them what their... <laughs> asked them what happened that day. They were like, look, what happened that day? And, and this person who they asked happened to be Trudeau's number two. Her, her name is Friedman. Let me find her name here. Yeah, so her name is Friedman, and she is the, like the deputy prime minister to Trudeau. So many people think that she will be the, the next prime minister. And, and the thing about Friedman is that this woman who is number two in the parliament to Trudeau is her grandfather, this is true, was also a Nazi. So the woman, I'm going to show you a clip, who's getting asked about what happened when everybody's celebrating the Nazi. Her paternal grandfather was also a Nazi who ran a Nazi he was a journalist who ran a Nazi propaganda paper that after this guy died, a study which his son-in-law actually commissioned, found that his propaganda writings for the regime led to countless mass murders of Jewish people. And he printed his Nazi propaganda newspaper on a printing press that was owned previously by Jewish people that was stolen by the Nazis had given to him when the Jews who live in the house that was also given to him were taken from the house in the roundup. We took all the Jews out. You get this house. You get the printing press. You're our Nazi propagandist. That is this woman who you're about to see. That is her grandfather. She's the number two in command to Trudeau, the granddaughter of a, a, a Nazi propagandist who stole a bunch of shit from the Jews. And this guy actually, after the war, what he did was what apparently a lot of Nazis did, moved to fucking Canada. Canada might as well, after World War II, put a sign on their borders that said, war's over, we accept all Nazis, no screening done. Come on in. Because like apparently a couple thousand Nazis went there and they have very lax policies. And he went there and he changed his name. If your grandfather is changing your name because of how bad of a Nazi he is, then you probably have some explaining to do. And apparently this woman, throughout her career, she initially claimed not to know of her 
grandfather's Nazi past. This is back in the mid-90s, but that was proven to not be true because of things that she had written previously. And since then, whenever that's come up, she's spun the history of her grandfather as not everybody who was supporting and fighting for Hitler was actually a Nazi. You know, a bullshit argument from somebody whose grandfather's a Nazi. And she's whitewashed it all. And now here she is. The same woman whose granddad's a fucking Nazi. She's being asked about what the fuck happened. And I would like for you to hear some of that. Here it is. Where the fuck is it? Hold on one second here. There we go. Freeland being asked about her Nazi grand. Well, being asked about to- Second question to um, uh, Mr. Freeland. Uh, Historians familiar with the history of Ukraine and the Soviet Union during the Second uh, World War say the fact that so many Canadians do not know much about this history played a role in how Yaroslav Hunka ended up being recognized in the House of Commons last month. Uh, You're someone who is familiar with that history. Yaroslav Hunka is the guy, the Nazi, 98-year-old, everybody celebrated. And so she... This journalist, which I I didn't catch this at first until I looked at her history, this journalist is implying knowledge of this woman's grandfather's history in her question here. You're familiar with it. About this history played a role in how Yaroslav Hunka ended up being recognized in the House of Commons last month. Uh, You're someone who is familiar with that history. So when the former speaker introduced Yaroslav Hunka as a, quote, Ukrainian-Canadian war veteran from the Second World War who fought for Ukrainian independence, Those listening, if you could just see the expression on her face, this woman has practiced this. I mean, she probably has a playbook. Her Nazi grandfather probably left her how to respond with a straight face to questions about your Nazi past. Against the Russians. What did you think in that moment? So. I'm sorry. I just like watching her listen to this. She's just taking it in. She's not actually going to respond realistically, obviously, but. I think this woman wants to explode. And like, I, I, like right now as she's hearing this question, I feel like bubbling beneath this like calm exterior is the, the strong desire to commit de- genocide against the Jews. I, I think that's what's coming out of her pores right now. Commons last month. Uh, you're someone who is familiar with that history. So when the former speaker introduced Yaroslav Hanka as a, quote, Ukrainian-Canadian war veteran from the Second World War who fought for Ukrainian independence against the Russians, what did you think in that moment? So I think it's really important to start with the tremendous pain that this brought to so many communities in Canada, uh, starting with the Jewish community in Canada. I want to stop it there. Just the way she's speaking reeks of DEI. These We have to talk about the pain to these underrepresented communities like the jewish community especially that and what she's talking about is that her included gave rousing standing ovations to a nazi twice like he was richard pryor who just effing shut it down or or like like eddie murphy at the end of delirious the type of standing ovation this guy got that's what she's explaining um i Actually, this morning spoke uh, with a rabbi uh, who serves a synagogue in my own writing. And he talked to me about how painful it was for him. Okay, so she she went out and spoke with the people. Rabbi, he saw me, and and there's over 300 people, 338 people in parliament. 
not all of them I did. I mean, maybe they all applauded. I, I didn't see anybody not, but 300 plus of us celebrated a Nazi. Did that cause you pain, Rabbi? So she sought out the people. What a great woman she is. And his congregation. And I think that's something that we all need to recognize and be really, really aware of. So I love that she says we all need to recognize as though we were the ones who were giving a standing ovation to a 98-year-old World War II Nazi. We we do recognize that, bitch. You need to recognize it. Uh, And listen. No, listen. I think the second thing that is very important to recognize is— this was the sole initiative of the former speaker. Oh, he- it was the sole initiative. What gets me about this, and this maybe this is a Canadian thing, is saying that this was the sole responsibility of any one person. I mean, that's the most unbelievable excuse ever. Everybody knows that nothing is the sole responsibility of anybody. To say something is the sole responsibility of one person is it, it, like saying Hitler is the only reason for World War II. There's other causes of World War II. Hitler's the asshole in World War II. He did awful shit. But there's a lot of things. That's like a childish explanation that they give their entire country. And all of them have been consistent. Trudeau said all of this. They, they, I mean, they, it's like they're all lining up to gangbang this guy, this speaker, in the backside for what he did. And they're, they're saying, we are so, we had nothing to do with it. He's a terrorist who put a Nazi and forced us to stand up and celebrate this Nazi. Did not inform the government. She has to think people are stupid. This was the sole initiative of the former speaker. He did not inform the government of Canada or the government of Ukraine. She snuck the Nazi in. uh, He snuck the Nazi in the back door and said, look up there, I got the best seat in the house for you. Just don't say anything about what he was going to do. It was a very grave error. Yeah, and there's a vetting process, by the way. So they have a vetting process. You can't just bring people in with nobody knowing. You have to give a name to a security staff that vets the people who come in, and they look at the background of all these people, and there's a list of people who people in Parliament can bring in. And after vetting, if the person is approved, then their quest can be granted. Apparently that didn't happen here. Or it did, and they let him in anyway. That was painful for Canadians, painful for communities in Canada. I would say starting with the Jewish community in Canada. Yes. Again, the Jewish And community. harmful to the brave people of Ukraine. And transgenders, probably. The former speaker has taken responsibility for that very grave error. What do you think that guy's doing right now? Do they pay this former speaker off? Is he on an island somewhere? What does he do for the rest of his life? He has all of the British Parliament every time they speak about this incident saying we need to make clear that the one and only person responsible for this was that speaker. I mean, this guy is never going to get a job in Canada. This guy is going to have to go to another country under some sort of Operation Paperclip, like, like, like a, a government program, just to get a job somewhere like he's a World War II Nazi or something. And has stepped down. He stepped down, right? We killed his children, too. All of us. um, (laughs) And our colleagues from other parties 
and the Senate and Ukrainian officials were all there on the floor. God was there. Jesus. Obviously, none of us understood. None of us recognized yeah, yeah. Of what was happening. Nobody knew. Jesus was coming. And I had no idea what was going on. that compounds the very grave error. Right. And that makes it really painful for all of us. So, so here's the reasoning here. It was the responsibility of the speaker, 100%. And none of them knew what was going on. That's why they're innocent. So they all will blindly applaud any person, no matter what they know about them, who comes into that room, as long as the speaker says, well, clap for them. So she, she's saying the reason that we're innocent is because me and everybody else in parliament are dumb as shit. And the speaker knows how brain dead dumb as fuck we are and should have known that our stupid non-thinking brains would have just slapped our hands together for any Jew killing Nazi that he, you know, prayed in there. We, we don't have any control over ourselves because we're so effing stupid and he should have known that. And, and that's why we had to let him go. We cannot have somebody as a, a press speaker of parliament who doesn't realize how effing stupid every single one of us are. Um, you know, I see my colleagues here um, also nodding. Uh, of course. Wouldn't it be funny if like, she turned a little bit too far to the left and she had like just very faintly a small like swastika tattoo behind her <laughs> ear? No one recognized what was going on. No one. God. That is terrible. And it is terrible that it happened. Yeah, it's awful. It's terrible. And the former pain. speaker, you know. Um, they, they all were in physical pain. They, they didn't know until a couple of days later. But once they found out that was a Nazi, they all experienced physical pain for a couple of days for their. Acknowledge, yep. Acknowledges the his mistake and stepped down. But I. I mean, it, it's to the point where it's like. We've decided just to show everybody how sorry we are for our speaker forcing all of us to stand up and celebrate multiple occasions, two standing ovations, and, and like a curtain call. Like we gave a Nazi a curtain call. We had no idea because we're so dumb. It was forced upon us by our press secretary. So what we're going to do is, as you can see, we're going to have we're going to have our we're going to we're going to have them pulled up on a string. And he's going to be like a pinata and everybody in parliament, including including our Nazi friend. If you guys could give our Nazi friend a standing ovation, he's going to have the first swing because it wasn't his fault. He would have stayed in hiding. We're going to beat the press speaker to death for forcing all of us retarded, brain dead idiots to celebrate. Like I don't celebrate Nazis with a standing ovation unless I'm in the privacy of my own home. All right. I don't do. I mean, I, I try not to do that in Parliament, and this asshole forced you, me to. I'm just going to conclude um, by saying that this would be a great time. You know, this is. It, I think it's incredibly painful. I, like right there, I, I, like I thought for a second she might say. I just want to conclude by saying that when everybody was standing up and clapping for this 98 year old Nazi, I was so wet. I was so wet. My grandfather, my grandfather, he, he was standing up in heaven applauding. For everyone um, who was in the house at that time. Including the ghost of her grandfather. Uh, a horrible moment. Horrible. 
but it's not about us. Uh, for me, the real... Um, it's about our Nazi support is supposed to remain secret. The very um, real pain... Really, a lot of pain. ...is that it's what? really, really hurt so many people in Canada, so many communities. Yeah, of course. Um, I, I, I like to think that there's just going to be so many people that get fired from their job and kicked out of school over the Halloween weekend for dressing up as this 98-year-old Nazi in Canada for Halloween. That's what I would do. Oh, I, I would love to see that happen. Starting with the Jewish community in Canada? Of the Jewish, like the 15th um, time. She that's awful. Right. What about the black and people? Nazis seem like them. It is terrible that this has damaged and harmed the brave people of Ukraine. The brave people of Ukraine. And the, you know. So the argument that it harmed the brave people of Ukraine that's going around is that Putin, and Putin came out with a statement. I was going to get into that, but I won't get into it today. But Putin said basically the obvious, that you have a Jewish president of Ukraine who is giving a, a, an ovation to an actual Nazi and that the this press speaker either knew that this guy was actually a Nazi and is he himself is evil or bad, or he's just an idiot, and so is everybody. Like Putin said the most logical thing, and they're like, oh, the fl the, the flub in parliament is just a flub. It fuels Putin's denazification propaganda that the president of Ukraine gave an actual Nazi. Two standing ovations, blah, blah, blah. Like that means anything. Like these are the arguments we're getting from the media. Uh, and look, Putin's press propaganda also, but come on. You're going to tell me, oh, are you, give, are you trying to tell me that because Zelensky fucking celebrated a Nazi for 15 minutes in a standing ovation, like literally he jerked off on his own face applauding a Nazi, that that lends any credence to uh, Putin's denazification, uh, fuck you! It's just so stupid. They, they they have people. People's brains. My brain doesn't work anymore. I think the Ukrainian president, who we were so proud to welcome. So I see a couple black faced. I would like to see Justin Trudeau, and and like I would move to Canada and vote for him if he did this. If he actually dressed up on Halloween and he went door to door and he trick or treated like he was a kid, and every time. He knocks on the door, and they open the door, and he's just wearing blackface, and when they open the door, he's hiling Hitler. Like, he's just hiling Hitler every time, and, and he's like, where's the, the swastika-shaped Tootsie Rolls? And he, he, you know, he goes after the ones that aren't, that aren't acceptable to him. I wouldn't move to that, but I think it's gotten that far. Justin Trudeau is nothing. He's a, like, does anybody think Justin Trudeau is real? I mean, the guy, like, He's who's the guy? He's Castro's son. A lot of people think he used to dress up his blackface and make fun of minorities. Gosh, I hate this woman. I don't hate her. I hate. Her. Oh my god! Did he just console her? Did you see that? Look at that. So this other guy right there at the end, he puts his arm on her. She's so broken up. Now, mind you, I want to say this again. This woman who's pretending to be upset about giving a standing ovation to a Nazi, her grandfather is or was a Nazi was the Nazi propagandist whose papers were taken from Jewish people, the printing press given to him apartment and who 
According to studies, his papers were responsible for the deaths of lots and lots of Jewish people. So here's what I would do. It's a couple of things. There's a great idea for a documentary in this. There's, like I said, over 300 people in parliament who have not been asked about this. Nobody has asked Zelensky. Nobody brings it up to Trudeau anymore. Finally, somebody brought it up to one of them. That's three out of 338. We have 335 more people in the Canadian parliament who have not been asked about this. Somebody needs to do a documentary where all they do is they find all of these members of parliament, whether they go to parliament there or wherever, whether they're on vacation or whatever, and they just film themselves asking the exact same question that they asked her. And we watch and see how all 338 of them respond to the fact that they all either knowingly or idiotically stood and celebrated a Nazi. I think that I would watch the hell out of that documentary right there. I mean, wouldn't that be so, so fun to see how they all, because they're all thinking that it's going to get buried. They actually presented something in the parliament to try and strike this from the record. It didn't pass, thankfully. Like some people are like, I'll celebrate a Nazi, but I will not strike it from the record. Maybe they wanted people to know they celebrated the Nazi. But that is like kind of wild that there was an attempt to remove something so egregious and so revealing from the official record. They, they did. I mean, credit to them for not doing it. But who knows what the history books will say. I want to see all of them on camera. I want to see a documentary about this. And there's, there's anybody from Canada listening and you get an opportunity. I have some questions that I would ask this woman, given her past. I, I think that was a good question that was asked. But I, 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 there's a couple others that I would ask as well. Here's what, what I would ask. I would, I would say to her, I would start like this. I would say, Miss, uh, I would say Minister Freeland, and I would just appreciate the hell out of her work. Was your grandfather and Mr. Yaslav Hunka, like Hunka's the guy's name, the Nazi, Hunka Hunka burning Nazi? I, I don't care if he's 98, he's a Hunka Hunka burning Nazi, in my opinion. He's still sexy. Was your grandfather and, and Mr. Yunka, were they, were they best friends? Did they hang out? Like, like, if they, like, could you tell us some stories, like your favorite stories of them back in the day, like, you know, killing Jews? Do you have any great killing Jews stories? that your grandfather told you that him and Yunka did? I would ask her like questions like that, or, or, or I might say something like, um, I'd be as unbiased as possible, please, Miss Freeland. Because we all love family, and I don't want you to be biased, but from an objective perspective, if you can, well, your granddad or Hunka, who was better at, at murdering Jews in mass? Like, who would you rank number one? Who killed the most Jews, Miss, Miss uh, uh, Freeland? Please tell, I would ask that, and I'd be like, I'm not talking numbers here, too. Okay? It's not just numbers. It's not, it's not quantity over quality. I'm talking quality. Which one, Yunka or your grandfather? Who was the better artist at killing Jews? Because it's an art, right? I mean, I'm sure there's some writings in your family history about how it's an art to kill Jews. So which one was better at it? Rank them number one. And, and, and number two, and... and do you have any favorite kills that your father and Yuka told you about as a kid? I'd also maybe ask something like, um, you know, World, World War II Nazi and Canada Ukrainian hero, because you got to define him that way. Yuka, Yaroslav uh, Hunka is his name, or, or Pole Exterminator, Exterminator of the Poles, some called him, which is interesting because, like, the dude is a, a pole exterminator by day, but dude is the pussy exterminator by night, you know, because nobody gets more pussy th than the Nazi that kills the most pole Jews, like, or her grandfather, one, one of the two. So 
It's just like, I bet that they were just fucking having pussy tossed to them all night. So my first question to her would be like, who is better, pussy magnet, your grandfather or his best friend, Hunka, who they killed Jews all the time? I would ask her questions like that until they drug me out uh, of the press conference. Maybe even ask, you know, thinking back, and this is true. So that was me just being like obnoxious. But this is actually a true thing that this hunk of guy who they celebrated said. And I would say to her, thinking back on his glory days of being a Nazi, your boy Hunka here, he recalled the years between 1941 and 1943 during an interview when he was a young SS Nazi in a unit stationed in Ukraine. And when he was recalling that time that the Nazis uh, uh, went on a killing spree, a rampage in Poland, and he recalled that time as being the most glorious time of his life. He said that, kind of like George Soros said when he was working back then, he said that he loved that time in his life because he was surrounded by the company of charming girls, carefree, cheerful friends, fragrant evenings in the luxurious castle park and walks through the city. And I imagine a lot of, uh, you know, hand-holding walks through the park with beautiful women, whispers of sweet nothing, and stepping over the bodies of a lot of dead Jews. I, I imagine that was part of it. As well. I mean, he killed them. Does he have to remove the bodies also? Give me a break. Let's get a trash person in here. We have Hunka and this prime minister, bitch number two in line's grandfather, killing them all. Don't make them drag the bodies out also. It's just too much work for one person when they got all that Nazi pussy to smash. So <laughs> it's probably way too much for say. It's probably like type of, it's probably like. Uh, 10, 30, 11 p.m. material that you're getting at like 8 a.m. right now. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And I think I would finally ask her, like, which Jew killer would you model yourself after the most? Your grandfather or Hunka? I would just continue to hammer home the fact that she comes from a Nazi family who killed Jews and she covers it up. And if I were in Canada, they'd probably, I don't know, they kill people in Canada or they just extradite them somewhere. They probably all kill people. It is extraordinary. I, I was shocked reading about this woman's past, especially once I realized that she's number two in command there. I mean, she, she's Nazi lineage. Does that mean she's a Nazi? No, but you look at her background and history, probably an effing Nazi, probably knew exactly what they were talking about. I was reading some articles about this. There are a lot of people, and, and I don't disagree with them, who think that Trudeau and all these people, were, were well aware that this guy was a Nazi and they brought him in to actually celebrate him because they want to normalize Nazis in society because there's a lot of them in Canada. There's been a lot of them there, a lot more than Operation Paperclip brought over here. And they have very Nazi-like tendencies and they think that they're trying to normalize it globally to like bring it back in. You know, blackface Trudeau coming back in just make sure they don't mistake you for actual blackface Trudeau because you don't want to end up in one of the uh, concentration camps with the, the Jews. It's just – Canada seems so – there's funny people that come from Canada. But other than that, everything I know about Canada besides this is from South Park. It just seems like it's just so harmless because Trudeau is such a pussy. I think that probably – is a reason why Canada seems so harmless is because Justin Trudeau comes off as the biggest dainty pussy you've ever seen in your life. He just does. I don't know if you saw the introduction to the new speaker that they brought in after they fired. They blamed everything on this guy. Could never have a career again. Probably moved off to Argentina or blew his head off in a bunker with Ava Braun. 
but he introduced the new speaker as a black guy. It was the first ever black speaker that they had. And Trudeau, they bring him in for the first time. Trudeau has him by the arm, and he's just dancing and grabbing his body as, as they make their way down the, down the aisle. Is this a normal thing that Canadians do? It didn't seem like it. it. Seemed like a normal thing that Justin Trudeau did. So, all right. What, what am I at? I'm at an hour and 23 minutes. Okay. So th- it, I'm just about 45 minutes over the time that I was trying to get the show down to as opposed to an hour and 30 minutes over like the last couple times I've done a, a, a live stream. But I am going to have one more story for you. So I'm getting better at the time control here. And that story that we're going to close out with is, Ian, if you're still watching, it's, and Ian, we can play this next time. Uh, uh, you're on the show too. It is a nun who does what all of us have always wanted to do. Like it's like a nun that lives our dream. And that's when we're showing the final story. But before we get to that, I want to tell you, I am going to do a little bit of an XR because I did put, put a story together. It's not going to be too, too terribly long. But I found this article and it's like this new study, the science of scary movies. And they use all these measuring of people's heart, heart rates and heart variants and stuff. And they, they have them watch movies over the course of about a, a year, couple of years. And they have come up with a list based on the measurements of people's hearts and reactions while watching horror movies. They've come up with a list of the scariest movies of all time. And that's what I'm going to go through and talk about in the DMBXR, which is the subscriber-only portion of the show, which you can go to patreon.com slash propaganda report and subscribe there to get that. That's how, how, how I support the show. And if you want to help out in another way, then you can go to whatever podcast platform you listen on. You can leave a five-star review. You can say I'm, I'm crazy out of my mind if you want, but, but leave a five-star review and also say nice things because it does help me continue to go and it helps the show show up higher in the search engine rankings and the ads let them play through. We don't get anything if they don't play through. I know it kind of sucks sometimes and we try to not have a ton of them in there, but it helps us if you let the ads play through if you're not a subscriber. So thank you for that. And thank you for all your support and all the comments in the chats. Sorry, I wasn't able to get, there's a lot of comments here I didn't see. I'm not intentionally missing them. Rockfin comments in the XR. I'm going to go through uh, the comments here. Uh, I'm trying different screen variations, so I missed some of them. But thank you guys. We'll talk to you next time. Have a fantastic rest of your day.